Good afternoon. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Thank you very much for joining me for the second chapter in five. Go off to camp. Um, now, I did put a poll on, didn't I, so that you could vote for which book you wanted. And most people voted for this one, which is why I'm reading it. However, um, we've had some late voters and they are, are wanting the new adventure. So um, I can't remember what it's called, something about the secret island. Um, so and it's a brand new one so that we don't know any of the characters in it or anything. So what I'm going to do is um, when this one's finished, I will read um, the secret island one. OK, so uh, that way. We please everybody. <laughs> uh, right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Again, thank you for joining me. We are on chapter two of five. Go off to camp. And chapter two is up on the moors. So, Mr. Luffy was not a good driver. He went far too fast, especially round the corners. And many, many times Julian looked behind at the trailer in alarm, afraid that everything would suddenly leap off it at some sharp bend. He saw the bundle of sleeping bags jump high into the air, but fortunately they remained on the trailer. <clears throat> he touched Mr Luffy on the shoulder. Um, sir, could you go a bit slower, please? The trailer will be empty by the time we arrive if the luggage leaps about on it much more. Oh, my word, I forgot we had a trailer, said Mr Luffy, slowing down at once. Remind me if I go over 35 miles an hour, will you? Last time I took the trailer with me, I arrived with only half the goods on it. I don't want that to happen again. Julian certainly hoped it wouldn't. He kept a sharp eye on the speedometer and... When it veered towards 40, he tapped Mr Luffy on the arm. Mr Luffy looked supremely happy. He didn't like term time, but he loved holidays. Term time interfered with the study of his beloved insect world. <clears throat> now he was off with four nice children he liked for a holiday on a moorland he knew was alive with bees and beetles and butterflies and, oh, every other kind of insect he wanted. <clears throat> he looked forward to teaching the four children quite a lot. They would have been horrified if they guessed this, but they didn't. He was an odd-looking fellow. He had very untidy, shaggy eyebrows over kind and gentle brown eyes that always reminded Dick of a monkey's. He had a rather large nose which looked fiercer than it was because unexpectedly it had quite a forest of hairs growing out of the nostrils. He had an untidy moustache and a round chin with a surprising dimple right in the middle of it. His ears always fascinated Anne. They were large and turned rather forward and Mr Luffy 
could waggle the right one if he wanted to. To his great sorrow, he had never been able to waggle the left one. His hair was thick and untidy, and his clothes always looked loose, comfortable and rather too big for him. The children liked him. They couldn't help it. He was so odd and gentle and untidy and forgetful, and yet sometimes unexpectedly fierce. <clears throat> Julian had often told him this, told them the story of Tom Killen the bully. Mr Luffy had once found Tom bullying a small new boy in the cloakroom, dragging him around and around it by his belt. With a roar like an angry bull, Mr Luffy had pounced on the big bully, got him by the belt, lifted him up and stuck him firmly on a peg in the cloakroom. There you stay till you get someone to lift you down, Mr Luffy had thundered. I can get hold of a belt too, as you can see. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to do that anymore <laughs> if you're a teacher. And then he had stalked out of the cloakroom with the small, terrified boy beside him, leaving the bully hung up high on the peg, quite unable to free himself. And there he had to stay, because not one of the boys who came pouring in from a game of football would lift him down. That's what happens to bullies, I guess. And if the peg hadn't given away under his weight, he'd be stuck up there still, Julian had said with a grin. Good old Luffy. You'd never think he could be fierce like that, would you? Anne loved that story. Mr Luffy became quite a hero to her after that. She was pleased to sit next to him in the car and chatter about all kinds of things. The other three were squashed at the back with Timmy on their feet. George firmly prevented him from climbing up on her knee because it was so hot. So he contented himself with trying to stand up with his paws on the window ledge and his nose over the side. They stopped about half past twelve for lunch. Mr Luffy had indeed provided sandwiches for everyone and remarkably fine ones they were too, made the evening before by Mrs Luffy. <gasps> Cucumber dipped in vinegar, ham and lettuce, egg, sardine. Oh, Mr Luffy, your sandwiches are much nicer than ours, said Anne, beginning on two together, one cucumber and the other ham and lettuce. They were all very hungry. Timmy had a bit from everyone, usually the last bite, and watched each sandwich eagerly until his turn came. Mr Luffy didn't seem to understand that Timmy had to have the last bite of any sandwich, so Timmy simply took it out of his hand, <laughs> much to his surprise. A clever dog, he said, and patted him, knows what he wants and takes it. Very clever. I mean, that pleased George, of course. She thought that Timmy was the cleverest dog in the world. And indeed, it did seem like it at times. He understood every word she said to him. Every pat, every stroke, every gesture. He would be much, much better at keeping an eye on the four children and guarding them than forgetful Mr Luffy. 
They drank ginger beer and then ate some ripe plums. Timmy wouldn't have any plums, but he licked up some spilt ginger beer. Then he snuffled up a few odd crumbs and went to drink at a little stream nearby. The party set off again in the car. Anne fell asleep. Oh, Dick gave an enormous yawn and fell asleep too. George wasn't sleepy and nor was Timmy, but Julian was. He didn't dare to take his eye off the speedometer though, because Mr Luffy seemed to be very much inclined to speed along too fast again after his good lunch. We won't stop for tea till we get there, said Mr Luffy suddenly, and Dick woke up with a jump at the sound of his booming voice. We should be there about half past five. Look, you can see the moorland in the distance now, all ablaze with heather. Everybody looked ahead, except Anne, who was still fast asleep. Rising up to the left for miles upon miles was the heather-covered moorland. A lovely sight to see. It looked wild and lonely and beautiful, blazing with heather and shading off into a purple-blue in the distance. We take this road to the left and then we're on the moors, said Mr Luffy, swinging violently to the left and making the luggage in the trailer jump high again. Here we go. The car climbed the high moorland road steadily. It passed one or two small houses and in the distance the children could see little farms in clearings. Sheep dotted the moorland and some of them stood staring at the car as it drove by. We've got about 20 miles to go, I should think, said Mr Luffy, jamming on his brakes suddenly to avoid two large sheep in the middle of the road. I wish these creatures wouldn't choose the centre of the road to gossip in. Hi, get on there. Let me pass. Timmy yelped and tried to get out of the car. The sheep hurriedly decided to move and the car went on. Anne was thoroughly awake by now, having been almost jerked out of her seat by the sudden stop. Oh, what a shame to wake you, said Mr Luffy, gazing down at her kindly and almost running into a ditch by the side of the road. We're almost there, Anne. They climbed steadily and the wind grew a little cold. All around the children, the moors stretched for mile upon mile, never ending. Little streams sometimes splashed right down to the roadway and ran beside it. We can drink the water in these streams, said Mr Luffy, crystal clear and cold as ice. There's one quite near where we're going to camp. That was good news. Julian thought of the big canvas buckets they had brought. He didn't particularly want to carry those for miles. If there was a stream near their camping place, it would be easy to get the buckets filled with washing water. The road forked into two. To the right was a good road leading on and on. To the left, it became not more than a cart track. That's the one we take, said Mr Luffy, and the car 
jerked and jolted over it. He was forced to go slowly and the children had time to see every little thing they passed. I shall leave the car here, said Mr Luffy, bringing it to a standstill beside a great rock that stood up bare and grey out of the moor. It will be sheltered from the worst winds and rain. I thought we'd camp over yonder. There was a little slope just there, backed by some enormous gorse bushes. Thick heather, heather grew everywhere. Julian nodded. It was a good place for camping. Those thick gauze bushes would provide a fine shelter from the winds. Right, sir, he said. Shall we have tea first or unpack now? Oh, tea first, said Mr Luffy. I've brought a very good little stove for boiling and cooking things. Much better than a wood fire. That makes kettles and saucepans so black. We've got a stove too, said Anne. She scrambled out of the car and looked all around. Oh, it's lovely here, all heather and wind and sun. Is that the farm over there? The one we shall go to for eggs and things? She pointed to a tiny farmhouse on the hill opposite. It stood in a small clearing. In a field behind it were three or four cows and a horse. A small orchard stood at the side and a vegetable garden lay in front. It seemed odd to see such a trim little place in the midst of the moorland. That's Ollie's farm, said Mr Luffy. It's changed hands, I believe, since I was here three years ago. I hope the new people are nice. Now, did we leave something nice to eat for our tea? They had, because Anne had wisely put away a good many sandwiches and bits of cake for tea time. They sat in the heather with bees humming all around them and munched solidly for 15 minutes. Timmy waited patiently for his bits, watching the bees that hummed around him. There were thousands of them. And now, I suppose, we'd better put up our tent, said Julian. Come on, Dick, let's unpack the trailer. Mr Luffy, we don't intend to camp, camp on top of you, sir, because you won't want four noisy children too near. Where would you like to put your tent? Mr Luffy was about to say that he would like to have the four children and Timmy quite close when it suddenly occurred to him that perhaps they might not want him too near. They might want to make a noise or play silly games and if he were near it would stop them enjoying themselves in their own way. So he made up his mind not to be too close. Right, I'll pitch my tent down there where that old gauze bush is, he said. And if you'd like to put yours up here where there's a half circle of gauze bushes keeping off the wind, you'll be well sheltered and we shan't interfere with one another at all. Right, sir, said Julian, and he and Dick began to tackle the tents. It was fun. Timmy got under everybody's feet as usual and ran off with an important rope, but nobody minded. By the time that dusk came creeping up the heather-covered moorland, all three tents were put up, the ground sheets were down and the sleeping bags unrolled on them, two in each of the children's tents and one in Mr Luffy's. Oh, I'm going to turn in, said Mr Luffy, my eyes shut. Good night, all of you. Sleep well. 
He disappeared into the dusk. Anne yawned widely and then that set the others off too. Come on, let's turn in too, said Julian. We'll have a bar of chocolate each and a few biscuits. We can eat those in our sleeping bags. Good night, girls. Oh, won't it be grand to wake up tomorrow morning? He and Dick disappeared into their tent. The girls crawled into theirs with Timmy. They undressed and got into their warm, soft sleeping bags. Oh, this is super, said George, pushing Timmy to one side. I never felt so cosy in my life. Don't do that, Timmy. Don't you know the difference between my feet and my middle? That's better. Good night, said Anne sleepily. Look, George, you can see the stars shining through the opening of the tent. Don't they look enormous? But George didn't care whether they were enormous or not. She was fast asleep, tired out with the day's run. Timmy cocked one ear when he heard Anne's voice and gave a little grunt. That was his way of saying good night. Then he put his head down and slept. Oh, our first night of camping, thought Anne happily. I shan't go to sleep. I shall lie awake and look at the stars and smell that heathery smell. But she didn't. In half a second, she was asleep too. <laughs> well, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, how do you think... They're going to have an adventure out there in the wilds with nobody there. Do you think they will or do you think it's just, nah, they probably won't. They'll be fine. <laughs> well, we shall see, won't we? Uh, join me tomorrow, please do, for chapter three. And, well, we'll... Uh, See what's going to go on when they wake up in the morning. Anyway, you make sure that you have a great day and take care and stay safe. And I'll see you all again tomorrow. Bye for now.